Welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I am your host, Kevin Weber. I've got several segments for you today in this episode that uh, I think you will enjoy. Uh, We will be finishing up, finally, the Federation High School, that is, uh, baseball quiz that we've been doing over the last several episodes. We'll do the final five questions today. We're going to talk about communicating with partners and the importance of that and some things to think about concerning that topic. Uh, We also will be spotlighting current Major League umpire, Phil Cuzzy. I'm going to talk about teachers as umpires and why teachers make good umpires. And I also got a uh, an email message last week talking about a variety of things. And one of the topics that was mentioned there that I'm going to touch on in this episode is nerves and dealing with nerves. How do you deal with those things when you um, are in a big game or you're moving up a level or you know doing some postseason stuff or something like that, something that's a little bit out of the ordinary for you and you've got to deal with those things. So I'll tell you what I think about that and... Um, Maybe some others have some ideas, but I'll tell you what I've done as far as those things when I've had to deal with some nerves, which everybody does. So sit back, make sure your earbuds and AirPods and headphones and speakers are working well for another episode of The Hammer and Umpire Podcast. This last week, I got a really nice email from Jim Brignall, an umpire uh, in New York, the New York area anyway. Um, And uh, he mentioned a few things in it that uh, I'd like to talk about. Um, His um, main suggestion was talking about and discussing nerves and how to deal with them um, when you're umpiring a baseball game. So I'm going to get to that in a second. But uh, a little bit about Jim uh, he said he started umpiring high school games in uh, New York four years ago on a whim. He had a neighbor who had done it for a really long time and um, enjoyed doing it and thought that he would also enjoy it and also be able to make some money, which is, uh, well, that's the case for a lot of us, right? So he was right, and Jim did enjoy it, and now he's moved his way up a little bit, and he's starting to umpire varsity games, and um, that's a great accomplishment. Um you know, we got to take things one step at a time, right? You know, so you kind of know when you need to, um, when you need to move or when you're able to move. Um, when you, if you have doubts in your head, like, okay, you're working sub varsity games, for example, freshman and JV games, and you're like, yeah, hey, am I ready to move up to varsity games? Um, if you're really questioning that a lot, you know, and you don't really know, well, you're probably not. But there comes that point where you're like, you know what? I've worked a couple of these. I see what's going on. I think I can handle it. And then you're probably ready to try to take that step. And so it sounds like you probably are as well. And I really appreciate that you um, you like the podcast and that you know it helps you out. I mean, it certainly certainly makes it worth my while to um, to do the podcast if I hear that from people that hey, you know, they really they like it. They try to listen to it uh, every time I put an episode out and. And uh, makes them think about a few things. So, yeah, that's worth it, man. I mean, that's that's kind of my payment, I guess. But anyway, dealing with nerves. Um, everybody gets nervous, right? 
Uh, I know I get nervous before games. I mean, I would get nervous before any kind of game, especially early in the season when you haven't worked some games in a while. Um, but yeah, if it's a bigger game, you know, between maybe some rivals, it, it could be, you know, whatever. I mean, it could be high school or, or college or something like that. Um, if you're moving up a level uh, that you haven't worked many games at or maybe none at some point. Um, I'm lucky enough to, you know, have a couple D1 games on my schedule this year. Am I going to be nervous before those games? You bet I will be. Um, but how am I going to try to overcome that? I'm not, hopefully I will. Okay. But what I've done as I've moved up through other levels or other big situations is, um, you have to slow things down. You got to slow everything down. If you're working on the bases, you got to slow things down. Certainly if you are working the plate, you have to slow things down. I've made a mistake not doing that at times before where I've been a little fast. You know, a lot of times you can kind of get away with that for a little bit um, as long as it's nothing too drastic. But um, you have to like trust yourself that you've worked a good number of games, that you know what you're doing, and also just kind of simplify things. It's just a baseball game. That's really what it is no matter what. Whether you're working the seventh game of the World Series or you're working you know, a 10U game or everything else in between, it is just a baseball game. You know the rules. You know your mechanics. You know how you're supposed to do things. You just do them one pitch at a time and stay focused. Just keep calling one pitch at a time or one play at a time if you're on the bases. If you're on the bases, you got to make sure you see everything. It's nothing until you call it. You make the call look like you belong there fake it till you make it if that's what you got to do but hopefully you you believe it right this is particularly important on the on the on the plate um i was when i was working you know the the finals last year and in, in, in the michigan you know high school tournament um we had two semifinal games in the final and, and one of the semifinal games um one of my crewmates you know who had earned the right to be there he was very very fast early on on the plate he was he was nervous, uh, which is fine. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with being nervous. You just got to be able to try to overcome that and deal with the nerves. Um, in between one of the innings, I actually went in and told him, "Hey, just relax, man. Slow down a little bit. You know, you know, you're almost making the call before the hitting the catcher's glove or something like that." So those are the things that you got to try to avoid, and you know that going in. You know, if sometimes you have the habit of getting a little quick. Some guys don't, but most people do. If you're like that, then you have to tell yourself, slow, slow, slow. Take it extra slow that first, at least that first half inning, probably the first inning, all right? Until you get in a groove and you're feeling comfortable and the game kind of settles down. It's like that for athletes as well, all right? Um, football players or basketball players in particular, and even baseball players too, but I'm thinking like basketball, man, they're just running really crazy. They pick up stupid fouls early on because they're too pumped up or they're missing free throws because they're not concentrating, they're not slowing down and trusting themselves as well, those kind of things. Umpires can do that too. You start missing calls because bad things always happen when you're going too fast. Um, I have definitely have learned that over the years. So simplify things. Um, you know, there might be a big crowd. Um, maybe you're lucky and there'll be a big crowd in some of the games. I've, I've been lucky a few times to have some good-sized crowds at, at games I've worked. And that's very exhilarating. If that is the case, don't be nervous about it. 
just embrace that and realize that you're lucky that you're working in front of a, a crowd. You know, a lot of times there's crickets in the in the crowd, right? Uh, for a lot of games that people work, and a lot of games that I work too. You know, there's only just some parents there or just a few people, especially if it's cold, nobody's there. Um, but if you're working something that there's hundreds or maybe thousands of people there, then, you know, there's a little buzz in the crowd and stuff. That's great. Then use that energy, that nervous energy to like focus even more. Sometimes that does happen. Um, you know, when, when there is a big crowd and it is a big game, you kind of become a little hyper focus and, and that's good. You got to use that, but just slow things down when you do it. All right. Um, so those are a couple suggestions there. Another thing to, um, think about is um your breathing all right i've done this too where you you know um there, there is i'm not saying it's like meditative breathing but i guess it kind of is where you're taking good deep breaths in your nose out through your mouth calming yourself that helps you slow down as well um you know stepping back you know between pitches and moving back up into your position not being just so locked into one spot just making sure that you're you know thinking slowing down and breathing as you get through there other thing you can do if you got like a, a new assignment or maybe this is like a postseason thing and you're nervous about it if you if that's a first time thing for you if you have a mentor or somebody you can talk to it's been around and maybe been through the situation um go talk to them see what they have to say how do they handle things um get into your rule book in your mechanics book and just make sure you know what you need to know and uh, especially the things that you're a little bit more uncomfortable with. If there's anything a little strange or different that you want to make sure that you've got it in your head. Okay. Um, uh, another thing that you might think about is um, research the teams if that's possible. Um, if it's like a postseason thing, that might be more possible. And obviously the higher level that you work. But if you, you know, can find out the coaches' names. Uh, find out the catchers' names. Um, see what kind of team they are. Are they a power-hitting team, a running team, a bunting team? You know, you can talk to people about that too. And just kind of have a better idea of what to expect. Um, you know, surprise is the umpire's worst enemy. So if you can eliminate things that might surprise you, one, you're going to feel more comfortable, and two, um, you're more likely to do a better job and not be surprised, right? So there are some other things that we could talk about as far as uh, dealing with pressure. But the biggest thing is just to try to embrace it and recognize that nerves are natural and that that means you care and that you're really you know, going to be trying really hard to, su to succeed and do the best job that you can. But when you start feeling a little too nervous, just tell yourself it's just a game. Just a game, call your balls and strikes, call your safe and outs. Interesting article recently in Referee Magazine about why teachers make great officials. I found this particularly interesting because I am a teacher. I think I maybe mentioned that before. I'm a high school teacher here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I teach uh, all history this year, but for many years, over 20 years here, I've taught English as well. So um, I've taught English from ninth graders to 
12th graders, all kinds of different classes. I taught middle school for a couple of years as well. Um, but this year I teach all American history, um, post-Civil War American history. And, and I like it. It's, it's fun. Um, but anyway, um, a lot of teachers and coaches um, or former coaches uh, go into officiating. Um, I'm sure some of you out there are former coaches and um, some of you are definitely teachers. Um, we have a flexible schedules, you know, we're, we're usually off, um, earlier in the day and can make the afternoon contest or the evening contest with our, with our hours, um, as baseball umpires, you know, we have four o'clock to four thirty starts, you know, four, four fifteen, four thirty 30 are the starts for high school games here. So any high school teacher or middle school teacher, uh, can make those elementary teachers. Sometimes it gets a little trickier. Um, collegiate games frequently, um, they might start at like one o'clock, two o'clock, um, even on the weekends, but sometimes that gets a little trickier, um, for those, if you work those games. But anyway, there's other reasons why, um, teachers, you know, are good at, uh, being officials too. Um, you know, not just baseball, but, uh, other sports as well. Teachers in general, you know, they see students, they understand the general conduct of, students and student athletes and um you know because they see them in the classroom and it makes them better equipped to handle uh the adversity that they might face in a contest uh whether that be from the actual players and the um and the coaches because you know sometimes they act like our high school students uh to, to be honest with you uh, teachers understand the you know the frustrations that um and the experiences that students might have um as they're trying to compete um if you are um, a collegiate umpire, you've and you're a teacher, uh, you've been to college, so you understand what they might be going through. A lot of them, a lot of umpires are former athletes themselves, so they know what that is. They know the competitive nature of people and what that is. All right, um, you know, having some kind of professional training um, with people and and dealing with people and dealing with teenagers. Um, is is an advantage that uh, somebody that maybe just works uh, in an office or or someplace that maybe doesn't have as much contact with people uh, that they don't have that um, you're able to handle. Um, I'm not saying necessarily arguments, but uh, disagreements or get a point across. Um, you know, explain a rule, uh, keep the uh, game moving, um, and not have things get bogged down. Um, that you know, those kind of communication skills are something that um, most teachers seem to have and uh, definitely can be beneficial uh, when working in a baseball game or any officiating contest. I've always had um, some of my umpire colleagues, you know, they when you tell them you're a teacher, like, oh, you get the summers off or you get this or that. But I tell you what, um, I'd always rather be umpiring a baseball game and dealing with those situations than um, teaching a class of high school freshmen. Uh, that is much more challenging to teach 30 high school freshmen for an hour each hour than it is to manage a baseball game. So uh, some people, <laughs> I know they say what they want to say about educators, but uh, there's there's a lot of challenges there to get them to uh, work together, to behave themselves, and to actually learn something that you're trying to teach them that day, and you do that um you know, a couple hundred times a year, um, that's a challenge. So having those experiences certainly is valuable when you're you're handling somebody on a baseball field. That seems very easy. So if you know some 
teachers um, that maybe have some interest in sports and um, you are short on, a, on umpires in your area, which I'm sure pretty much everybody is. I mean, that seems to be the trend all over the country. Then uh, you should talk to them. See if uh, they might be interesting, interested in umpiring and uh, tell them what the deal is and see if you can get them going and help them out a little bit. So um, that's my suggestion to you. Um, take a look into that and try to recruit some people, um, some teachers in particular. It's time for the final part of the high school baseball quiz that uh, I've been doing the last few episodes. And if you've been following along, this is how it works. I read the question, I read the choices, and in your mind, try to pick the correct answer before I tell it to you and you can see how you do without, you know, looking at a rule book or anything like that. Just how you would, uh, how you would respond and how you would rule. So here's uh, number 16. With a runner on first base, F1, the pitcher, uh, accidentally delivers a pitch off the side of his leg. The ball rolls 20 feet from the mound and crosses the foul line before it stops. I remember reading this rule, and uh, I always think it's kind of strange, but it happened to me in a college game a couple years ago. Anyway, here are your choices. A, balk. B, a ball is called. Or C, no pitch. What do you got? If you said a ball is called, you are correct. And uh, that is the correct call because it crossed the foul line. This is like you threw a pitch that crossed the foul line. Um, if there, if it did not cross it, it would be no pitch. Not an illegal pitch, like you wouldn't add a ball to the count. Um, it, you only add a ball to the count if it crosses the foul line. So, yes, I had this... Uh, couple of years ago in a college game. I never thought I'd see it. Maybe it'll be the only time I ever see it in my life. I don't know. I guess, you know, you never know. Number 17. A batter one hits a fair ball down the right field line. A spectator, believing it's a foul ball, picks it up. Idiot, right? Anyway, here are your choices. A. Spectator interference is a prescribed one base award. B. Spectator interference is a prescribed two-base award. Or C, spectator interference is a base award as the umpire sees fit to nullify the act of interference. What do you got? If you said C, you are correct. Spectator interference is a base award as the umpire sees fit to nullify the act of the interference. Something that uh, we don't usually have to deal with too often in high school games because usually there's not enough people there to interfere anyway down the line, but you never know. It, it, it happens every once in a while, all right? Especially if uh, offense isn't so good or the you know surroundings. Number 18, with an 0-2 count and two outs, batter three swings and contacts the ball on a pitch that is thrown in the dirt and bounces into the air. The tip ball goes directly into the catcher's glove and is caught. This is a strange play, uh, but it could happen. You know, you definitely could see it. Here are your choices. A, strike three, batter three's out and may not attempt to advance. B, strike three, batter three becomes a runner and may attempt to advance. Or C, foul ball. What do you got? If you said A, you are correct. Strike three. 
the batter is out and may not attempt to advance. Think of it just like, you know, I mean, think of like Vladimir Guerrero. I mean, he took balls that literally bounced up to the plate and hit him for doubles. You can do that. So if you do swing and you foul tip it and it goes directly to the catcher's glove, as it did in this case, it's just like a regular foul tip that you would call um, any other time that didn't hit the ground. Number 19, with a runner on second and a 3-2 count, better one swings and misses. The ball hits the catcher's glove and then becomes trapped inside the umpire's plate coat, if he you know, has one. I know a few guys that wear plate coats. I've, I've thought about getting one, but, uh, you know, maybe someday, right? Anyway, here are your choices. A, better one's out. B, better one is awarded first. C, R2 is awarded third only if he was attempting to advance. I don't know why I put that in there, but there you go. If you said B, better one is awarded first, you are correct. The ball is dead there. Um, yeah, he swung and missed on it, uh, swung and missed on the ball, but it's like it went out of play or something, if you think of it that way, like, you know, through a fence or whatever. Um, he was, you know, able to try to advance, but they weren't able to put him out because the ball's dead. So that's why he's going to get the base, right? And then finally, number 20. Runner one is breaking on the pitch. The pitcher delivers a wild pitch, and the ball rolls near the dugout. The ball comes to a stop as R1 touches and rounds second base. The catcher then inadvertently kicks the ball into the dugout. Not real swift there. So here are your choices. A, R1 remains on second. Uh, B, R1 is awarded third. Or C, R1 is awarded home. What do you got? Well, if you said C, you are correct. R1 is awarded home. So that concludes this uh, umpire test. We're, we're going to be um, having some state tests coming out. I know some of you already have yours out. We still don't have them out here in the state of Michigan, but I'm sure they're coming out very soon. Um, when I get those, I'll probably share some uh, of those test questions. If you have any uh, you know, unique test questions that are on some of the tests that have come up here uh, in the in this you know winter time that we're dealing with now, um, please send them my way and uh, let me know what you think about them and uh, maybe I can share them on the air. All right, until then, um, that's the end of our little quiz. I'd like to have a discussion on communication with your partner. Uh, an important aspect of umpiring that sometimes is overlooked a little bit. Um, when you first start umpiring, you're more concerned about what you're doing. You know, are, are you uh, calling balls and strikes well? Are, are you in good position to make safe and out calls on the bases? Um, are you rotating properly? Um, and we don't always think about this in conjunction with our partner, but it's very important. And as we become more comfortable with what we're doing, uh, then we can focus a little bit more on that. I know um, over the last few years, I've tried to do that as well. Um, and I think I've gotten a little bit better at it, but it's something that you can always improve on. Um, if you're working lower levels, uh, very little kids and stuff like that, you're probably working by yourself. So unfortunately, you don't get quite the opportunity to work with a partner, which is, you know, not, not that, not that helpful. I mean, you got to work with somebody else to be able to get better at it, right? Most of us around the country and, and around the world for that matter, um, are working the two umpire system. 
Uh, so you've got somebody out there, you know, you and the and the other person, man or woman, against the world, I guess, right? If we're lucky enough to maybe work some postseason or move up some levels, we might work three or four umpire system. But uh, most of us are stuck with the two-man system for a vast majority of the games that we work. All right. So um, being able to communicate well with your partner um, not only makes your job easier, but also um, increases your um, stature and standing with um, with uh, coaches and players and, and the spectators that are around. Not that we're trying to impress them, but if they see that we know what we're doing and, and we're communicating, we're like our own team out there, they're maybe more likely to leave us alone a little bit, right? If we kind of gain that credibility. Um, also, by being better at it, you gain credibility with your partner, right? So um, there are several things you can do to, to do that. Um, but one of them is just to um, to try to focus on your personal responsibilities, but anticipate your partner's duties and, you know, coordinate your work with these people, you know, that you're working with on the field, right? So effective communicating leads to the crew being in the right places um, at the right time, moving about the field more efficiently, uh, covering the appropriate responsibilities, you know, making the right calls and being in a good sound position to do so. Because um, we don't want like some big train wreck on a banger someplace and you know, you're way across the field and somebody didn't rotate, you know, up to third base or something like that. We've all been there before, and those are the kind of things that you definitely want to avoid. By communicating um, with your partner, whether that's through signals that you might have or uh, vocalizing it, it helps keep you in the game. We know that some games can drag a little bit, right? And um, our mind might wander, especially if we've worked all day or we've done several games that day or it's hot out or it's cold or whatever it might be. And um, like we say, the worst thing for an umpire is surprise. So when you're not thinking and your focus is gone a little bit, then you're more likely to be surprised. If you are um, making eye t contact with your partner, you're exchanging the nonverbal signs, you know, um, whether it's like a drop third or catch no catch, whatever, infield fly, timing plays, all those kind of things that you should be doing, then you're more likely to um, be in the game mentally and be ready to do the things that you need to do. All right? Um, you know, sometimes we need that other, that extra information, and good communication does those things, you know, where you're able to um, give the fist or the open hand for, you know, a drop third strike. Um, you're able to come up quickly if um, you see a batter, uh, get hit with a, a ball in the batter's box for a foul ball or something, and you can just come up and make that call. Or if there was, a, you know, you're able to help your partner if there was a bobble or a, a pulled foot or a swipe tag was made or missed or the ball's on the ground or something, or if there's a collision or there's some obstruction, whatever it might be. Um, if you are in the game and you're able to um, communicate with your partner that you've got something and you're able to help them, that's going to you know, help minimize mistakes that you guys might um, potentially make because that's the biggest thing. We, we don't want to make mistakes, right? We want to get things right and so that the game is fair and that um, the team that plays better wins and it has nothing to do with us as umpires, right? So communicating with partners uh, may lead to, um, you know, an interpretation that didn't really occur 
to you or or you know you can assist your partner or they can assist you in um helping to you know figure out a a weird situation that might pop up in your game um you got to be willing to do that and and sometimes you know even if you made the wrong call make sure you get things right you know that and that helps to avoid you know discrepancies that you might have um i know some guys uh might you know lose track of the count or something like that uh, i don't keep an indicator when i'm in the field um and on the bases there um you know that's the home plate guy's job to do and half the time but even if you did keep one you might have it wrong and then what you're giving people the wrong information so i know some places you know you have a good scoreboard that's actually working but frequently even when the scoreboard is working in places i work half the time the person running it's got it wrong anyway so um you know um being able to communicate with your partners as far as keeping yourself in the game when you you should know the count um i know sometimes you lose it a little bit but uh, you should have an idea what it is um it, you might have some kind of signal for those kind of things if there's some kind of uh conflict that uh, you guys might have i know like uh in federation baseball now you're supposed to like do this uh kind of salute across your chest or you know, touch your chest almost like you're like you know, doing the Pledge of Allegiance or something like that. I don't know about that. Some guys take off their hat, uh, those kind of things, if there's some kind of, um, um, you know, information that you have or that you um, need some help in some way. All right? Anyway, all these things, um, communicating better, being vocal, like if there's, you know, you're, you're rotating, you're yelling who's going where, or that you've got, you know, two-man rotation now, or we've got one man, or you've got that fly ball, or I've got third base, or you're just telling your partner where they're going to be so that they can trust you. All those things make you look sharper out there, make you a better umpire, make it easier to officiate the game, and, and you can trust your partner that they're going to be in the right spot, and um, that makes it more fun, too. I mean, that's really one of the biggest things is we want to enjoy being out there working and um, people will enjoy working with you if you're a good communicator and doing all those things that um, that you should be doing. So keep those things in mind. Um, that's that's what you need to pregame when you are, are talking to your partners, uh, whether it be in the parking lot or in the locker room, and making sure that you guys are going to be communicating the best you can while you are on the baseball diamond. We're going to take a look at Phil Cuzzy for this week's Umpire Spotlight. A while back, I was listening to um, another very good umpire podcast that you might want to check out called 12 for 12 with Jerry Davis. Um, a little different, obviously, than mine because, you know, it's Jerry Davis and he's got a host and they talk to Major League umpires and other people. Um, and they were talking to Phil Cuzzy uh, on one particular podcast and he was telling about um, his life and how he got into umpiring. Very fascinating. I, I highly suggest that you listen to that episode in particular. I think it might be a two-parter as well. Um, and the other episodes that are there as well if you um, like to know a little bit more about the uh, professional umpires and what they have gone through uh, to get to the level that they're at. Anyway, one of the things about Phil Cuzzy that I really respect, and you you can hear him specifically talk about it and put it in his own words in his own unique way, is his is his perseverance. Um, 
I forget the number because it's been a few months since I've listened to it. But I think he went to umpire school like it was at least four times. Might have been five. Four or five times he went to umpire school, kept going back, you know, paying for it as well. And um, until he finally got a job in the minor leagues. And then obviously it's worked out um, since he's a major league umpire, but it's been maybe one of the roughest roads of anybody to ever get there. And he's just one of those guys that never quits. I think it's it's something that all of us can um, from can take from him that at our much lower level, of course, we have to persevere and uh, fight through the the times that maybe aren't so good and which things aren't looking so good and um, keep sticking in there and not, not be a quitter, basically. And um, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but there are some guys I know that were, you know, talented umpires that they're not doing it anymore because of, well, whatever reason. I mean, it might be some legitimate reasons, but some of them, they just get worn down with not getting certain assignments or people treating them in a certain way or whatever the case may be. Um, And then they give it up, um, even if they had quite a passion for it. So anyway, um, Cuzzy was born in um, August 1955. Um, and he's from New Jersey. And when you hear him talk, you definitely know that. And uh, when he first uh, started working in in uh, the big leagues, it was the National League. So he was um, a reserve umpire from 1991 to 93. And then he returned to the National League. This is before the umpire split, or before the split um, was not going on anymore. And they basically combined together. So um, he was in the NL in, in 99. And then since 2000, he's working in both major leagues. Um, When he made it to the minor leagues, he appeared in the New York Penn League, the Carolina League, um, South Atlantic League, the Southern League, and, of course, um, the AAA Alliance and the International League and American Association. Um, Worked his way several years through there, finally making it to uh, AAA, and um, then made his... um, Major League debut in June 1991, umpiring first base in an 11-inning game um, between the Cardinals and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So Dodger Stadium, pretty good place to uh, get your first big league action. So from 91 to 93, he uh, umpired a total of 71 National League games, which is still a great accomplishment if that's all you ever did. I mean, guys are just, even if you just umpire one game in the Major Leagues, you, you did some great stuff. So... His career kind of uh, temporarily came to a halt in '93. He advanced to AAA and um, served as a you know MLB reserve. And at the end of the year, there were no full-time major league slots for him, and uh, he was released. And, and this was devastating to him. All right, so he basically uh, worked as a substitute teacher and a bartender, and he was working in this uh, hotel in New Jersey. And he'll, he'll tell the story on the podcast in which he talked about um, how he knew that Len Coleman, the then National League president, was going to be coming to that hotel. It's a nice hotel. And his sister worked there as well, and she kind of knew. And, and he was able to, um, you know, they, they basically wanted to know when he was coming, and he was going to talk to him and try to get a job back. He had been out of baseball for a couple of years. And he thought this was his last shot. And the worst thing that could happen is he's going to say no. And he was going to, he had this letter for him that he was going to give him. First, he was going to like slide it under his door. But he wanted to actually, you know, maybe meet him in the in the bar if he was there. Um, or, you know, deliver something to his room and kind of meet him face to face and talk to him. All right. 
So um, when that happened in 99, he returned to the NL. But it worked out. Okay, it's a crazy story. But you got to listen to the podcast to hear the details of it. And only Cuzzy can really tell you the, the real details. I'll let you listen to that. Anyway, he returned to the NL and worked 49 games. And then um, he had to go back through and work some stuff up through the minor leagues to get there again. And then since 2000, when um, they combined the staffs, he's um, worked in both leagues. Um, so he's, you know, since um, since then he's worked uh, almost 2,500 games in the major leagues. And he's he's one that's got a little bit of a quick trigger. He's had 78 ejections, all right? He's uh, worked some significant games. He worked the wild card game in 2013. He worked some division the- uh, series in 2003 and 4 and 9 and 12, 15 and 16. And then he was able to umpire in the National League Championship Series in 2005, 14, and 19. And he also worked um, the plate for Game 1 of the 2017 World Series. He got to work the 2008 All-Star Game at Yankee Stadium and the 2019 All-Star Game in Cleveland. And then he was, um, in, you know, um, in Game 1 of the 2015 National League Division Series between the Cubs and the Cardinals, um, he was kind of criticized during that one for like a wide strike zone. Some of the Cubs players didn't like it. But, you know, like we always say, you know, if you call more strikes, it's better to call more strikes than less strikes. But, you know, the big leagues, they get a little touchy on that. Um, he's um, umpired in at least three major league no-hitters. Uh, he was behind the plate for uh, Bud Smith's no-hitter in 2001 and for Cole Hamill's no-hitter in 2015. And then in... Um, 2009, Jonathan Sanchez's uh, no-hitter um, for the Giants over the Padres. All right? Because um, he was the plate umpire for a game between the Red Sox and the Rays in, in 2000, and during the game, eight members of the Rays were ejected. Uh, seven of them by Cuzzy, one of his partners, ejected somebody else. But no Boston players were thrown out. Um, that's something that uh, they say has never happened uh, before and, and probably won't. That's a very <laughs> crazy situation there. Um, when Because um, he's from the New York City area, so anything that happens there, that's kind of a big deal for him. So he was uh, the first base umpire um, in the first game at the New Yankee Stadium in April uh, 2009. So I'm sure he appreciated that. Um in the top of the 11th of a game, game two of the 2009 ALDS between the Twins and the Yankees, uh, nobody out. Twins catcher um, Joe Maurer hit a fly ball that tipped off left fielder Milky Cabrera's glove and landed fair and bounced into the stands. And Cuzzy called it a foul ball and, you know, denied Maurer a ground rule double. And that um, was a controversial call that proved pretty costly to the Twins because they lost the game 4 3 in a walk off home run. But, you know, he stood by the call, and this is uh, before. Instant replay, of course, too. Um, more recently, in 2019, Cuzzy was the umpire at first base uh, when he ejected CC Sabathia and uh, Brett Gardner. Um, prior to Gardner's ejection, um, you know, Yankee manager Aaron Boone was ejected by home plate umpire Ben May. Um, after Boone returned to the dugout, that's when Gardner was seen hitting the top of the Yankee dugout with his bat, um, which got him ejected. And... Uh, <laughs> In the eject in injecting Gardner, because he like demonstrated the action uh, by Gardner, which earned him his ejection, like holding this kind of phantom bat and jabbing it against a phantom dugout roof, which some people didn't quite appreciate. So he's definitely got uh, that Italian kind of personality and uh, a little bit hot under the collar at times. So he does what he's got to do, but um, I think he's kind of an umpire's umpire. I mean, I think a lot of fans don't really like him, 
But uh, if you're an umpire and you watch Cuzzy, uh, you kind of respect what he does, and, and he's got a little flair to it as well, and um, I think he's a very solid umpire. Anyway, um, I wanted to spotlight Cuzzy because he's obviously a, a current major league umpire, and I think that's kind of interesting. And um, I wanted to do that as well because I want to urge you to go to the Jerry Davis 12 for 12 podcast. Um, you can find it on any of the podcast formats, I believe. And um, listen to the Phil Cuzzy interview it is definitely worth the time and the effort. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. I once again appreciate you sticking with me and listening. Um, As I always say, if you'd like to contact me, I I would really appreciate that. You can send me an email. My email address is spinalfusion06 at yahoo.com. You could tweet me. I'm on Twitter and I post some things here and there. Um... The Twitter handle is at Kevin R. Weber. And remember, Weber has one B in it. Or you can um, check out the Facebook page that I created for this podcast, which is at The Hammer Podcast. Um, you can just search it on Facebook and you'll run into it. Um, and you can message me through that if you'd like to. Um, added another international country to our podcast we've got listeners or maybe just one listener i guess maybe in the netherlands so we got those dutch listeners Uh, we're still in several other countries but of course primarily we're here in the united states and we're reaching all over the place um you know primarily our, our our listeners are in the midwest and the in the northeast but um we've got um coast to coast listeners and uh and we still haven't necessarily reached Hawaii yet, but uh, maybe we'll get there at some point. I don't see Hawaii or Alaska, but the continental United States were pretty much covered at this point, which, you know, I appreciate. And like I said, I got my email from Jim uh, earlier this week, and he's out in New York. So that's pretty cool, you know, that um, reaching out to some people in some different areas. Speaking about reaching out to umpires, I'm going to be... Um, attending uh, or at least uh, doing some things for uh, Bruce Doan at his uh, annual uh, January slash February umpire camp here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They hold it every year. So this year, uh, January 31st and February 1st, it's like kind of Friday night and then all day Saturday. It's held at the Grand Rapids Community College uh, in downtown Grand Rapids. And uh, he always has a great staff that comes in and instructs umpires he gets pretty much he gets like um, he gets some high school level guys maybe some guys slightly below that a lot of college guys uh, guys trying to move into college ranks or move up a little bit Um, but the staff he has he puts together um, several guys that have gone to you know at least one or multiple college world series um, former professional umpires Um, you know guys get uh, plate work and, and critique down that and some help in trying to develop their plate work in the cages there inside their big field house. Um, they set up a, you know some area for doing base work and uh, getting the basics down on that. Um, really good, really good stuff. So I'm going to be there um, talking to people, I'm talking to 
you know, umpire colleagues, but also talking to the campers and, and uh, seeing what some of their goals are and uh, why they're there and trying to report that back to Bruce and helping out in some other ways as well. So if you are in the Grand Rapids area and you want to stop by, um, you can certainly do that. I suggest that you maybe check into that camp or any of Bruce's camps. And, of course, there's plenty of camps going on all over the place. I'm sure there's something in your area, unless maybe you live in the Netherlands. Maybe there's not an umpire camp there. But anyway, in the United States, there's probably one in pretty much every state. I probably don't have to drive too far to do that. And you need to go to camps and be seen and and get a little bit better. And and especially these ones in the wintertime, that's a good time to do that because you start getting back into the groove of things and um, figuring things out and trying to figure out what you're going to improve. So I'll be doing that and um, I'm sure in the next episode I'll be talking about some things that I noticed there and some people that I talked to. I'll probably have a segment on that um, just kind of reporting out on the most recent umpire camp. All right until then keep calling strikes. <laughs>